Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music as we kick off a brand new holiday shortened week here. Rhino, what's going on? Howdy, howdy. How was the extended weekend? It was great. I, uh, I got to participate in what I call gumping. Which uh, is inspired by the film Forrest Gump. And it doesn't involve the running, but his little spiel about when I got hungry, I'd eat. And when I got tired, I'd sleep. Yeah. I I did nothing productive. Just unplugged, binge watched, did a little grilling, but really enjoyed the the time off. Hmm. Well, it was a day. Well, I'm glad you had a good weekend, of course. The weather was uh, very cooperative. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. And, uh, of course, across the country, folks were traveling all over the place. I saw the most traveled in their vehicles on the roads. Uh, you still had people backed up in the airports, lots of flight delays and cancellations. That That's become a norm, hasn't it? it seems, seems like it. Yeah. We just ain't got enough people to run all that stuff anymore. And, and I the think, stuff that's running is uh, yeah. a little out of date. Yeah, it's dated for sure and uh, much malfunctioning going on. But it is the day, Memorial Day, of course, not to be confused with Veterans Day, Armed Forces Day. It is the day specifically we remember those who perished in uniform in defense of this great nation. Over a million in our history. And I believe that all got set into motion uh, a few years ago. It was President Lyndon Johnson declared Waterloo, New York, the birthplace of Memorial Day. Their ceremony on May 5th, 1866, honored local veterans who had fought in the Civil War. Businesses closed, residents flew flags, half-staff. Supporters of the claim by Waterloo say the other places' observance of the day was more more informal, not community-wide, or one-time events. And then, of course, by the end of the 19th century, Memorial Day ceremonies 
were being held on May 30th throughout the nation. State legislatures passed proclamations designated the day. The Army and Navy adopted regulations for proper observance at their facilities. But it really wasn't until after World War I that the day was expanded to honor those who have died in all American wars in 1971 by an act of Congress. Memorial Day was declared a national holiday. It's still often called by its original name, Decoration Day. And it was placed on the calendar in the act on the last Monday in May, as were some other federal holidays. And, of course, some states also honor the Confederate dead. Mississippi, for example, you know this, celebrates Confederate Memorial Day on the last Monday of April. Alabama still observes Confederate Memorial Day on the fourth Monday of April. Georgia, April 26th. North and South Carolina, May 10th. Louisiana, June 3rd. Tennessee calls the date Confederate Decoration Day. Texas, Virginia as well. So, it's um, it's a day when we enjoy typically good weather that ushers in the summer. It's an extended weekend. We enjoy food and family and barbecues and the pool and the like. All good stuff, but we certainly should remember we're only able to do that because of the sacrifice made by those who who gave their lives in service uh, to this great country. President Donald Trump, he also had something to say, as you can imagine, about Memorial Day. He wished on his Truth Social Media um, site, he wished a happy Memorial Day to Americans, but warned that the United States is in great, quote, peril due to individuals, he said, are working from within the government to destroy the country. On his platform, he said, quote, The country has never been in greater peril than it is right now, and called on supporters to help him, quote, stop the communist, Marxist, and fascist pigs, and make America great again. I didn't really get this one, Rhino. He said that he sends his warm regards, quote, especially to those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for the country they love and those in line of a very different but equally dangerous fire, stopping the threats of the terrorists, misfits, and lunatic thugs who were working feverishly from within to overturn and destroy our once great country. What do you think about that? Is that appropriate for a Memorial Day? Maybe over the top a little bit? I get it. And I know it's campaign season. Probably could have been better punctuated to to ease in the understanding. It's it's Donald Trump. I know. 
That's not one of his specialties. Stream of consciousness is what you get. (laughs) You know, several weeks ago, you remember this one on Easter. (laughs) He wished a, quote, happy Easter (laughs) to, quote, weak and pathetic rhinos. (laughs) And, quote, radical left Democrat, socialist, Marxist, and communist. He wished them all a happy Easter. (laughs) Happy Easter to all, including those that dream endlessly of destroying our country because they are incapable of dreaming about anything else. So, Governor Ron DeSantis, who is considered to be Trump's primary opponent in the upcoming presidential primary, he focused on the wokeness of our military and said we were going to rejuvenate it and end this focus on pronouns and the like. I feel like Governor DeSantis is a little too focused on cultural issues, and I'm not saying that that makes him incapable of being an effective president. I want to see some supply-side economic policies. I get the culture wars. He's a master of those, no doubt. What about the economy? What are you going to do? I have not seen anything. And all we've seen out of Trump is blast DeSantis for supporting the fair tax. He also went along with Paul Ryan's proposal to inject some privatization reforms into Medicare and Social Security. And Donald Trump and the left equally blasting DeSantis on that account. And uh, Jane Fonda... I don't know why she took up to start talking about this on Saturday in advance of Memorial Day. She blames, quote, white men for climate crisis and calls for them to be arrested and jailed. The climate crisis would cease to exist without racism and the patriarchy of the white men. (laughs) Unbelievable. So much of this stuff is going on from a cultural perspective, and it's just more evidence that our country is really turning into two at the state level. Something we've talked about quite a bit on the program is how different the states are and how they are just going into their respective corners across a myriad of issues I'll share with you later on in the program what Nevada is considering doing in their public schools in response to a district who said, we ain't letting biological males go to the bathroom with the females and compete in female sports competition. Well, the Democrat-run legislature is planning to retaliate. Hunter Dawkins, Super Talk opinion contributor and publisher of the Gazebo Gazette, is up next. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. Sticks, fooling yourself. Bumping us into this segment, we have moved Hunter Dawkins to the next segment. My apologies for that. But we'll have uh, Hunter on at 1037, Super Talk opinion contributor and publisher of the Gazebo Gazette at 1205, Sally Doty, director of the Mississippi Office of Broadband Expansion and Accessibility. It's known by the acronym of BEAM. We'll get an update from our office and the work as it has been progressing to light up the state. With broadband internet access. Should be an interesting conversation. So, while so many states, such as Mississippi, have been busy passing legislation that would prohibit biological males from participating in female sports, using female locker rooms, bathrooms, and the like. In Florida, for example, Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill this past session that prohibits discussion of sexual topics, sexual identity. And the classroom, up to, I believe, the third grade. In other states, it's required in the curriculum. You must discuss it. In the great state of Nevada, also known as the Silver State, Rhino, So a school district enacted similar policy, limiting transgender student access to locker rooms, bathrooms, sports teams, and the like. Right. They must use facilities, play sports, in accordance with their biological gender. Not based on their identity. So... Nevada lawmakers, Democrats, of course, in control, they're working on a bill proposed by Senator Fabian Donate, a Democrat from Las Vegas. The bill would prohibit school boards from putting policies in place that impose such limitations such as accessing facilities or activities based on race, religious, creed, color, national origin, disability, sexual orientation, gender identity, ancestry, familial status, or sex. A violation could result in a fine. So the legislature, the state, would fine school districts that adopted such policies that basically say, you need to stay in your biological swim lane, no pun intended there, they would put a $5,000 fine for each day such policies are in effect. Now, it's just another example of how wide the gap is in philosophy and approach to governing in this country. States like Nevada adopting such policies, states, states like ours, Florida, Texas, etc. The polar opposite policies. You know, it, it used to not be that way. It used to be where there were just sort of minor distinctions between the states. 
Now it's gotten pretty major. It's voting. It's abortion, a big one. It's taxation. It's crime. And now it's this gender stuff, CRT. That was sort of the, the rage last year, I guess. The current year, it's, it's sexual content. We're like over-raced and over-sexed, it seems. Incredible. So I think you're going to continue to see more distinctions in policy between the states. Meanwhile, over the weekend, we got us a debt ceiling deal. Well, I guess you could call it that. We got a debt ceiling deal. Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, President Joe Biden and teams uh, worked together to come up with a deal, and we got it. Now, here's what the result is. For the most part, the various factions of the parties, not happy. Nobody got what they wanted. It's it's amazing to me that the chasm between the parties, again, on the role of government and how much government should take in, how much it should spend. Kevin McCarthy touts it as a success because there are no tax increases. Well, it's true. Democrats and Joe Biden wanted tax increases. The Democrats consider it a failure because, guess what? There ain't no tax increases. And also, there's no limit on defense spending as part of the discretionary component of spending, but there is a limit on non-defense spending. However, it's only for two years. We freeze it in 24 at 800-something billion dollars, and then in 25, it's limited to 1%. Then after that, all bets are off. We go back to business as usual. So, and the other main component of the Limit, Save, and Grow Act, that was the bill that passed the House by a narrow margin of two votes. Well, one of the other things it does not contain is a limit on the debt. What was sought was to limit it to $1.5 trillion. You can only add $1.5 trillion. Or a $1.5 trillion debt increase, which would get you through less than a year, by the way. That's what's sad, because we're on track to produce a $2 trillion deficit, and the crazy president is still running around bragging about how he decreased it from his first year to his second year in office. Duh, that's because you pushed and passed a $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. Hey, I didn't do that this year. That's what you ought to be saying. Look at me. I didn't pass a $1.9 trillion bill. Rather, he presents it in a duplicitous fashion. Look how responsible I am. I cut the deficit by $1.4 trillion. Except he's not taking into account where we're headed in the present year. Politicians love to focus on the past. 
And sometimes we voters focus too much on the past, honestly. Because the past ain't going to fix the future. Now, that doesn't mean you should break laws without, with impunity without paying the, the price. Absolutely, you should. But we've also got to walk and chew gum, as they say. What about the future? What about the future? We can't change the past. We need to hold people accountable, absolutely. We don't need to let them commit the same mistakes again, absolutely. But what about the future? And Joe Biden is not acknowledging that he's about to preside over a $2 trillion deficit in 23, which means it goes up by $600 billion. So, and there are more, by the way, there are more tax reductions in the Trump tax bill from 17 that are expiring, that are going to hit corporate America, are hitting them in 22, will continue to hit them in 23 and 24, and then the individual cuts expire in 25. We're back to the pre-Trump tax environment. Nobody's talking about it. Trump himself won't talk about it. I hadn't heard a word. I have not heard anything out of Ron DeSantis about what are your economic policies and plans. I get it. I don't like pronouns in the military either, but good grief. It's 24 hours a day. Culture wars. What are you going to do about what polls at the top of the list in every single poll, and that's the economy? I'm hearing nothing. By the way, the DNC, (laughs) they made a statement on Governor Ron DeSantis last week when he announced that he was entering the race. I'll share that with you later on in the program. But right now, it's time for a break in the Element Well Studios. And when we come back, this time it's Hunter Dawkins, Super Talk opinion contributor and publisher of the Gazebo Gazette. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone. It's middays from the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. Joining us now, Hunter Dawkins, a Super Talk opinion contributor and publisher of the Gazebo Gazette. Morning, Hunter. How's it going? Mr. Gerard, it's always very nice to hear from you, and uh, I thank you very much for for having me on your show. It's a, it's a very uh, special privilege. Absolutely. Appreciate you joining us. So let's talk first about uh, the number 16-ranked Southern Miss Golden Eagles who downed Louisiana 2-1 to one in uh, the Sunday Sunbelt Championship game. So it looks like they're headed to a regional in Auburn, I believe, right? 
Absolutely, that's correct. I, I went. I spent the weekend up in Montgomery. Great town, great weather. All the rest is great. And Southern really, uh, they, they came back and they made it happen. Uh, the first uh, two games were uh, were uh, pretty solid, solid games, at least, coming out. And then they had a little bit of hiccup with Appalachian State on Saturday and or on Saturday morning. Then they came back and won the last two. And uh, the big guy, Justin Storm, really took them took the storm to the uh, the raging cages. Yeah, absolutely. So we hope they go deep in the tournament. Love to see them come away with uh, a trophy over there at the regional, and maybe that'll put them in position, maybe, uh, for yeah, hosting a super absolutely. regional, depending on how things work out in the other regionals. But they've got the uh, – I think they've got the talent, and they've got the chemistry to take them far in the postseason, and we wish them well. Absolutely, and what I heard uh, yesterday from the inside that they, the commissioners that had, or the AD members that were part of the commission that selected the regionals that Southern Miss was very high, and it was unfortunate they didn't get to, but they're in the regional. I think that they can take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so it's uh, election season, election year in Mississippi, and I think that. Now that Memorial Day is behind us, we're shifting into full gear, approaching the August primaries, and then, of course, the November general elections here in Mississippi, when we'll go to the polls and we'll elect our statewide leaders, all offices, and, of course, all of of the members of our legislature, our House and Senate. You're getting geared up for this by hosting a political debate, right, on June the 24th in Long Beach, Mississippi. Tell us about that. Yes, sir. That, that's the absolute. Um, the thing that I've really learned, because it's the third year that we've hosted this political debate, um, it's, as you know, Mr. Gerard, that it's all politics is local. And trying to make this, especially since it's a statewide in county races, too. Um, that's something that I had kind of brought together when we first started this. I used it for municipality back in 2021 with mayor, all of the races. A little bit of a, uh, of a smaller one last year with the midterms, but this year uh, I think it's going to be really good. We've had commitments from a few statewide officials, and um, I have debates planned for uh, for the sheriff race, which is a huge race down here in Harrison County because we are the second largest county in the state. And also, we have quite a number of things that the sheriff race has to take into context. And both candidates have worked with the, the sheriff's office for a good number of time, but there, from what I've heard, there is differences in opinions of both. And... I want to get that out there. That's one of the reasons that I'm hosting this is because from what I've heard in the past, having these open public debates really helps people make decisions on who they want to represent them. So you've reported, Hunter, that you've got some gubernatorial, lieutenant governor, secretary of state candidates confirmed uh, to attend. Can you share with us who those are? Well, I do have... uh, the, the lieutenant 
Senate gubernatorial candidate Christian Daniel is committed, as well as a few of the minor gubernatorial candidates. I'm still waiting for for uh, Governor Reeves and Governor Presley, or not Governor, but uh, Public Service Commissioner. You made his day. And the way I understand the structure of this uh, this event, Hunter, is that the candidates each are afforded three minutes, right, to discuss their candidacy, share their vision for the office. And then if the candidates agree, they can move into sort of a debate-style forum, and you've got moderators available to, to kind of oversee that. Is that right? Yes, sir. You're absolutely correct on that, Mr. Gerard. Um, the option, you know, like like you had mentioned, that we will give them three minutes um, per just a discussion of campaigns, and if they want to be on the road and go do something else, that's that's their priority. Um, but if both groups or however many candidates agree to debate, we will have a setup where we'll have the panel discussion with some questions. Then the students, we're going to have a student section, which Long Beach is the number one school district in the state of Mississippi. So I think we feel very confident with that and with the great superintendent, Dr. Talia Locke, is even the, the plus on having that. And even with the, uh, the last segment, I call live audience questions where, you know, I select a few of the audience members that have wanted to raise questions, and I think that's kind of giving you a, uh, a circle, you know, for, you know, of questions. You're getting it from the panels, you're getting it from the kids, and you're getting it from the audience. And so I think that, right. uh, that equals a great debate. So with respect to, to state-level uh, issues, Hunter. What what do you see as uh, the priorities for uh, Mississippi citizens and voters? Well, you know the questions that I'm kind of gathering put together definitely have to be about you know the the hospitals, mm-hmm. the the state health, and what uh, what we're going to do with not only with a potential. Medicaid expansion, potential um, hospitals, you know, how the money, we're going to get more money to rural hospitals, um, the income tax, you know, are we going to cut it? Or are we going to leave it the way it is? Mm-hmm. Um, and just a lot of legislative issues that have kind of popped up, especially, too, about the initiative plan. Are we going to come back? Or are we going to make that happen uh, to go back to, you know, creating an initiative uh, I think you know what I mean mm-hmm. by that. Yep. That's at least from the statewide. But um, the local. 
horse race, that's a that's a big big deal down here because of the issues not we've had in the school districts with not only with guns and things as such, but also now the uh, the sheriffs were granted, or the Harrison County Sheriff was granted uh, by the Board of Supervisors the ability to patrol the beach. Yeah. And so that's where a lot of drug activities come through, shootings and spring break and all those different level things. That's going to be a lot of the... the well, it should should be interesting because uh, that that's a lot of issues that I I think as well are um, showing to be the most important to voters. I see it certainly here in, on the program on the text line and just uh, and just out you know in in anecdotally in my orbit. This is what I hear from people, and I think this is uh, what candidates are hearing as well. And so they'll have their hands full addressing all of those issues. They're, they can be fairly thorny, as you know, and fairly complicated. But, Hunter, we appreciate you uh, joining us today. Look forward to reading more of your opinions. And, of course, always enjoy your articles in the Gazebo Gazette. And I'm sure we'll check in, you, in with you again after the debate, June 24th, Long Beach. Appreciate it, man. Mr. Gerard, I appreciate your help and, and the, the Super Talk promoting this event, and uh, I definitely hope we get to, get to do some more work together. Sounds good. Appreciate it. We're taking a break right here, folks. Coming right back in the Element Well studio, Sally Doty, Director of the Mississippi Office of Broadband Expansion and Accessibility at 12.05 today. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well Studios. We appreciate you joining us today. So I, I do find it fascinating to observe and, and a bit disturbing that the nation is dividing across these uh, some of these key issues and how we just don't see eye to eye on so many things. And look no further than the debt ceiling. Both sides are, are, are mad. And it's not because they didn't get what they jointly wanted. It's because they didn't get what they independently wanted. Democrats wanted more taxes, more spending. Republicans, for the most part. I mean, there's there's the moderate middle, and that's what they're hoping, who they're hoping to attract, right, to uh, get this thing over the finish line. But you've got a number of members of the House who said, I'm a no on this deal. Doesn't go far enough. It's not what we signed up for. And I agree. But if you think you're going with a proposal 
and you're going to come away with 100% of that? Then you don't understand government. And I've had these conversations with friends, people I like, people I respect, people I know share my thoughts about and my desire for the best of the country and and things I want to see happen. I'd like to see 100% of that, what was passed in the House, is part of the deal. But I also understand that ain't how it works. And, And so what you get is, well, you know, when Republicans had control of both houses and the White House, they didn't do anything then either. They're all worthless. And so my question is, first, do you understand the process? You're very limited on what you can do without 60 votes in the Senate. And that was the genius of the founders who said, the Senate's got to be the cooling saucer. Those crazy guys over there in the House, and there's a bunch of them, of course, by design, they may just get impulsive and do crazy stuff. You guys over here in the Senate, you've got to be more thoughtful, more methodical, less impulsive. That was the idea. Does somebody think that's a bad idea? I don't. I don't. But I will say this. You've got a 60-vote threshold. Here's the problem that's caused, in my view. It's all this crap we get from the agencies. And now we're every other day, it seems like we've got to go to court and say, no, nah, you're stepping over your bounds here. It's the water deal that just happened last week where the silly agency wanted to deem every puddle protected. And, and boy, so, howdy the spin on that. And it, and it got, what, unanimous. Yeah, it was a unanimous decision with the case at hand. There was disagreement over what precedent needed to be set. So all of the justices agreed that the EPA was overstepping their bounds. The disagreement was on by how much. Okay. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, the rule says something, uses the the phraseology navigable waters, I believe is what it says. Well, a puddle's not a navigable water. Like, by a tadpole or what? So, but that's just an example. There are tons of them. So what happens is we got gridlock (laughs) in the lawmaking bodies, so it goes back to Obama. I have a pen and a phone. Who could forget that? That's what he said after he described the midterms as a, quote, shellacking. It didn't matter. Yeah, the American people repudiated our agenda. They rejected it. No matter. I just get what I want done to the extent I can without legal court challenge through executive order. And that's exactly what's happening. The country is run by executive order. This is why I think we need term limits on the bureaucrats in the agencies. That's more important, arguably, than the term limits in the Congress. Speaking of limiting Congress, remember back to when Kevin McCarthy was becoming the Speaker of the House? Yeah. And there was all that consternation and debating and behind-the-scenes backdoor deals and all this kind of nonsense and i was just tired of all of it from the get-go because it was nothing more than politicking well some of the same people that are upset about the deal are the same people that were pushing for the vote of no confidence but i've heard none of them say that that's true but i'd like to ask them okay and i like these guys by the way but i 
just in friendly debate. Okay, if you were Kevin McCarthy, could you have gotten it done? I say no. You would have had to have taken a whole lot more to the table because compromise requires giving up something you want. No doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. And it's why the first asking price at the pawn shop is about three times what it should be. That seems to be left out of the discussion here. It just does. Thank God we have a Constitution that prescribes how all that process works. It's time for a break here on Middays. It's top of the hour. It's Fox News, Super Talk News next. Sally Doty at 1205. And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. back in the Element Well Studios. We thank you so much for joining us. Hour two of the program on this beautiful late May day. We're rolling right into summer, and these campaigns are going to be heating up like the temperature is. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. Aren't we? Say Supposedly. yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, just to illustrate, though, where I think Republicans are missing the mark with respect to the presidential campaign. I know that that the culture wars are appealing to a lot of people. The base of people that are already going to vote for you. That ain't going to get you elected, Republicans. The Democrats, on the other hand, are dismissing it as if it's not even an issue, and they are totally focused on economic issues. It's bull crap, I grant you that. But that doesn't matter with respect to people voting. They lap it up, they accept it as fact. Here's what Biden said yesterday. The day I signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law, the American people won. Special interests lost. Families are going to see lower prescription drug prices, lower health care costs, lower energy costs. Now, that's all crap, but it resonates. It just does. Meanwhile, DeSantis is saying, we got to stop using pronouns in the military. I agree. That's crap, too. We need The military needs to focus on getting ready for war. But... Governor, please, you've got to have an economic plan, or you ain't going to make it. And President Trump, you got to do something other than trash Democrats and DeSantis 24 hours a day. What's your economic plan? Why aren't you making your top priority, making permanent, your tax plan? I want to run so I can make permanent the Trump tax cuts that did... A, B, C, D. That ought to be the campaign right there. He doesn't even talk about it. He's too obsessed with with nicknames for people. Elizabeth Warren. 
on Friday. A billionaire shouldn't be able to pay less in taxes than a Boston public school teacher, in parentheses. Yes, Jeff Bezos, I'm looking at you. They hate success. They do. They hate it. They, You know what this is? It's just blat- brazen, blatant, sheer jealousy. She is so resentful of people who made a whole lot more money than she did because she's a government leech who lied her way into a gig at Harvard and does nothing but attack success. She hates it. She's also wrong, by the way. Imagine that. Jeff Bezos paid over a billion dollars in taxes at an effective rate of 23%. She just failed to look it up. I did. I looked it up. It ain't hard. You know that. It just takes a little time, a little effort. And you got to know what you're looking at. She's got an army of people that could do that. But that doesn't fit the narrative. Nope. It, it works a whole lot better. And it endears people to her when she says, yeah, that Jeff Bezos, we got to stick it to him. He's paying less taxes than a Boston school teacher. And they just laugh it up. Yay, go Liz, you're right. Go after those people, those dirty, greedy, rich people. And by the way, anytime they talk about when they make that point, that talking point, they're always referring to the effective rate, not on their income, on their income plus the increase of their wealth. They always talk about it in the context of unrealized gains. It's just a shame that their portfolios grew and they didn't pay any taxes on that, except when their portfolios shrink, oh, no, we can't give you any money back. Can you see the IRS writing Bezos a billion-dollar check because he had some holdings, some assets that declined in value? That ain't happening. That's just confiscation. We need more innovation, less confiscation. But she tweets it, and some of the people that have half a clue do speak up. I like to read the comments on Twitter. <laughs> One of them says, you got paid about eight times a Boston public school teacher's salary for teaching one class at Harvard. That's totally true. What's he at, like four hundred grand or something, right? Yep. When politicians give up their riches, this is another comment on her tweet, they can come for ours. What Bezos has or makes is due to his work and none of your concern. He pays through his enterprises a whole lot of taxes and creates jobs, unlike politicians. That's me clapping for that comment. (laughs) Let's confiscate all the wealth people in Congress make above their annual salaries besides money market interest. Okay. (laughs) I can deal with that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) One person said, then stop collecting taxes. Another said, well, how much do you pay in taxes? Oh, gosh. It's unbelievable. But then, of course, her supporters, it's only people, it's only right that people pay their fair share. (laughs) 
Oh, and some some person who describes themselves as libertarian mama. <laughs> Which Boston public school teacher paid more in taxes than Jeff Bezos? I'd like to see that too. It's a lot of overtime. <laughs> so in this debt ceiling agreement, I mean it it really is minimal other than we got a deal. And we won't default, which we weren't going to do anyhow. I've explained that math before. We take in just under $400 billion a month. Expenses, unfortunately, sit at about five fifty a month, meaning we got $150 billion. We got to figure out how to pay. You could still pay all the Treasury interest. You could make all the, the critical payments necessary to avoid default, which is what the left kept saying. We're going to default. Catastrophe. Eight million people out of work. No, you still got $400 billion a month to work with. Figure it out. Unbelievable. So it does hold non-military discretionary spending roughly flat for this year and limits it to 1% in next year. And that, by the way, is the part that absolutely made the left irate. What do you mean we can't increase non-discretionary spending? And that's that agency complex we were talking about a minute ago. I can't even name them all. It's so sprawling. It also includes work requirements on able-bodied adults to receive TANF and food stamps, SNAP, not Medicaid. They couldn't get that through. Now a lot of people are mad about that. I don't like that either. But keep this in mind, you know it only applies to people over 50. We already have work requirements under, and all they did was wanted to raise the age to 55, and they settled on 54. McCarthy says that's a victory. 54! McCarthy says that's a victory, and the Democrats say, people will die in the streets. The debt limit would be raised for two years. That was a concession, because originally what was wanted, as you recall, in the Limit, Save, and Grow Act that was passed by the House is a 1% increase over 10 years annually on discretionary spending, which would limit the debt to $1.5 trillion uh, in, in, in terms of an increase over the first two years, and then we go from there. Well, that didn't happen. So they're, the right's mad about that. And the clawing back of the IRS, $87 billion of funding over 10 years for 80,000 IRS agents to go after wealthy tax cheats. Well, that only got whittled down to uh, by $10 billion to $70 billion. Again, over 10 years. Here, here's why I'm not terribly worried about that. You can't find accountants to go do that. They're going to be hiring like people who majored in poetry to work for the IRS to do audits. You can't find accountants. They're all spoken for. All the good ones, I just saw that firsthand at Ole Miss. They're all going to work for big four firms. There's a shortage. There's a chronic shortage of accountants in this country. Nobody wants to work for the IRS. When I was majoring in accounting, that was like, you're working for the IRS? That's the best you could do? We only had a 2-2 GBA. Oh, okay, I get it. We're coming right back with more here in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. 
And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Lane by the Eagles. I believe that was from the Hotel California album, wasn't it? I think. We're back in the studios at the Element Well Studios. We appreciate Hunter coming on. We apologize for the audio. We had some issues. We had Hunter scheduled for the studio, and he'll be back uh, as well. And we look forward to his uh, report on the debate. And again, it's it's not really scheduled in reading through that as just a straight debate, as he said, uh, the candidates will, will speak three minutes. How do you get a politician to talk for three minutes? Huh. Three minutes, and then it might evolve into a debate, which will be cool. Of course, the one everybody wants to see, Rhino, is uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman taking on challenger... He's got three challengers, but one in particular, Senator Chris McDaniel. We'd like to see that as well. I would be honored to serve as the moderator for such an affair. That'd be fun. Let's get them right here in the studio. I bet we could make it happen at prime time. Have video and audio, right? You're laughing. I'm laughing because I'm thinking, well, I mean, you could have all kinds of fun with political debates that we don't have because, well, politics can be a bit stuffy. But imagine... Just imagine that those tiny little air horns you can get in the sporting goods section that if you hold the button down, it's going to run out of gas in about 30 seconds. <laughs> imagine if you gave everybody on a debate stage three of those. They had three 30-second <laughs> that they could use at any point during the debate. be awesome. It it almost descended to that level at AOC's debate. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. In her district of the Queens there. Some folks showed up that ain't very happy with a congresswoman. Imagine that. You're sending all that money to Ukraine, and you're kicking the veterans out. I mean, they gave her some grief. She, by the way, is not happy with the debt ceiling deal. Cuts too much spending. Also, one thing that... <clears throat> Democrats seek, in particular Democrats, is an ending of the debt ceiling itself. And and so this is what gets a little confusing. This, in this particular case, spending cuts were associated, or the call for spending cuts, on the part of the Republicans in the House, were part of a deal to increase the debt ceiling, which is statutory. But, and some are mad, like um, Chip Roy, Representative Chip Roy, who's probably been the most outspoken about the deal and is uh, a member of the House Freedom Caucus, and as well as the, the head, his name escapes me, from Pennsylvania, 
but he also is uh, very outspoken about it, of course, and helped engineer the terms of the deal. Also was pretty much the pivotal person in getting McCarthy over the hump with his group for speaker. Speaker. Talking about Scott Perry? Yeah, yeah, thank you. And um, we got a final deal that Chip Roy's not not happy with. He just says that we went from a $1.5 trillion to a, two, a $4 trillion. So here they're call, talking about the increase of the debt. So the Democrats want to end the debt ceiling statute. Now, before you get all bent out of shape about that, you still have the congressional authority over spending. So spending and the debt are inextricably linked. When you spend more than you take in, you got to borrow money to make ends meet. So you still have control, effectively, over the debt. You just don't have the debt ceiling, in which case you don't have to go to the Congress to say, hey guys, we're running out of money. <clears throat> we we got to increase this debt ceiling or we can't meet all of our obligations. Not not all of our, but some of our obligations. Pardon me. The Democrats want you to think, oh yeah, we just don't have a dime. Everything shuts down if we don't extend the debt ceiling. Not true. Like I said, still got four, nearly $400 billion, which is incredible, a month coming in. Which, by the way, that $400 billion coming in, under the Trump tax cuts. Remember, it's the CBO who scored it in 2017. And they're never right, by the way. And you know what? I'm not necessarily being critical of them. What I'm critical of is the fact that our lawmaking, our policymaking, requires them to score legislation. And then that is used as a factor in thumbs down or thumbs up on those bills. But it's a guess. And I know from personal experience in acquiring companies, they're going to put their pro, what's called pro forma, it's just a financial forecast, usually five years looking out. And what I've learned is pull the revenues down, <laughs> discount that, and increase the expenses. That's somewhere <laughs> where the truth lies. The CBO doesn't work that way. It just takes whatever the Congress gives them and just scores it in an absolute raw, nominal fashion. And it never works out. So the flaw in the Democrats' argument that we're running deficits because of the Trump tax cuts is total horse hockey. Because revenues are up. And the CBO, they're still hanging on to what the CBO said six years ago, which has now been proven wrong. (laughs) <laughs> yet they still go to the public with that. It's the Trump tax cuts. That's why we're running these deficits. No, if we return spending to pre-pandemic levels, you realize that we would have a balanced budget. Think about that. Just go back to 2019 when we spent about $4.5 trillion. We're collecting nearly that much today. We have a balanced budget, but we can't because... Not only is discretionary spending up, which includes defense and all the agency complex, but of course, 
Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, on autopilot. Just keep going up, 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 up. And there's no revenue coming in to cover it in those programs, explicitly in those programs. So taxpayers have to cover the shortfalls. That's what's happening in Medicare. Medicaid, of course, has always been funded by income taxes. But but you never point that out. So Chip Roy created this graphic as, here's how it was passed, and here's the GOP deal with the swamp. That's how he described it. And he goes through all the all the elements, all the key provisions, the limiting of um, the debt ceiling by cutting spending next year and then shrinking it over 10 years. That didn't happen. Uh, work requirements for SNAP, TANF, and Medicaid. Only got them for SNAP and TANF, and they got watered down. Uh, the HR1 energy permitting... That got watered down as well. It's better, but it got watered down, and he, he talks about that. And then the the um, $1.2 trillion of tax credits in the Inflation Reduction Act for all the green energy stuff, no, didn't get any of that. Uh, overturned the 500 to $600 trillion student debt forgiveness plan, no, didn't get any of that. Which, speaking of student debt forgiveness, the seemingly easy answer that nobody will land on, if you really want to help people that are burdened by their student debt, people that really can't make ends meet because they owe too much, yeah, why not just make it easier for them to file bankruptcy on their student debt? There's already a mechanism in place that could be used to genuinely help the people that need it, not the people that went and got $100,000 degrees in underwater Russian basket weaving. So is is there an issue with that? You can't use that? It is really difficult to file for bankruptcy on your student loan debt. Okay. You're upside down because of your student debt, but you can't get a bankruptcy. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That, of course, that would be... Forgiven or reworked is what would happen, typically. That's what the But the uh, number the, associated the with people that would be eligible for bankruptcy on their student yeah, loan debt makes sense. is much smaller than the money they're just trying to pump to buy votes with young people. Makes sense, because you'd have a lot of people that, that got high-paying jobs that wouldn't qualify for bankruptcy. It's, it's painful. they got to pay it, though. That's the point. Which, by the way, reinstated... In full in August, I believe, right? Is that I the, believe the payments have to begin by September. Okay. So, okay. In August is the last month of the uh, moratorium on the payments. ZZ Top with legs. We need more of that. Bumping us out of this segment. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, 
Welcome back, everyone. That's Paul Revere and the Raiders bumping us into this segment. That was uh, by my request, the all-head request line. Rhino accommodates. Appreciate that. So on the ceasefire text line, lots of text rolling in. Haven't been ignoring you folks. See them, and we're going to get to them. So Thomas and Greenwood says, considering Republicans at all three, House, Senate, and Presidency, why weren't all aspects of the Trump tax cuts made permanent? That's a good question, and I shall explain. So again, in general, you need 60 votes, a filibuster-proof Senate, or, or 60 votes to overcome the filibuster, to pass legislation. The exception is legislation that deals with budgetary matters, financial matters, that can be passed through what are called the reconciliation rules, the budget reconciliation process, which only requires a simple majority. And this was something created by Senator Byrd from Virginia, West Virginia, as I recall. It's called the Bird Rule is why it, it comes to mind. I can't remember which of those states. but And it's been around a while. And the parliamentarian of the Senate determines whether or not legislation qualifies for the reconciliation process. And by qualifying, it doesn't mean you can just spend however much you want or make changes to tax law and so forth, by however much you want. It's got to fit in within certain constraints. And there's formulas for that. And remember, all this sort of legislation, generally speaking, is 10-year stuff. Applicable over 10 years. So what happened with the 2017 TCJA, the, the Trump, uh, the ta- pardon me, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, TCJA, also known commonly as the Trump tax cuts, is that it was passed with simple majority in the Senate through the reconciliation process. But in order for it to qualify, what they did was limited by five years, two five years, the individual cuts, and they extended the corporate cuts to 10 to make all that fit mathematically, in the reconciliation process. That's why. So, and this is what makes people mad. Well, you hear this all the time. Well, the Republicans had both houses in the White House. Why didn't they get this done and that done and this done and make this permanent? Because none of that fits into the reconciliation rules, and you'd have to pull off, in that that time period, nine Democrats. Well, they ain't going to vote for any of that stuff. That's why. So you're limited to what you can get through the reconciliation process. So then you ask, well, how is it that the Inflation Reduction Act got through? That's how. How is it the the big old $1.9 trillion, $1.2, pardon me, trillion dollar infrastructure bill, how did that get, get through? Because it got Republicans, 18 as I recall, including our Senator Wicker. All right. How did they get through um, the omnibus bill, the big old spending bill? That, too, requires the filibuster-proof majority in the Senate because 
18 Republicans supported it. Because they kicked the can down the road until it was, oh, it's the last possible minute. Yep. you got to do this or you're going to be stuck in Washington over Thanksgiving. Yep. And, I, and something I'll give some credit to McCarthy on is he knew, this was, of course, after the election, he knew he was likely to be the speaker, and he said, save it. Don't pass that Senate. Wait till we're seated so we can do it the right way and we can have a role in this. They didn't. And that, you have to lay the, the blame at Senator Mitch McConnell, honestly, the minority leader who was able to persuade this cadre of, of Republicans in the Senate to also support that. And then the other big one, just three big bills, is the CHIPS Act, which is essentially a grant program, if you will, for big chip manufacturers to entice them to relocate their manufacturing operations in the U.S. Here's some money for you to help do that, Intel, as an example. NVIDIA, others. Except now we've learned that, oh yeah, you've got to adhere to all these other social (laughs) um, benefits for your employees to qualify. Oh, imagine that. Strings attached for this money from the government. So that, too, garnered. I, I don't remember. One got 17, one got 18, one got 19 when I last researched that. I don't remember which applies to which bills. But those are three big bills that do not pass without support from the other party. So in the case when, when Republicans have control, they generally don't get support from the other party. If you said, hey, guys, we want to make the Trump individual tax cuts permanent, Democrats, what do you think? Not no, but hell no. You'll get five years and like it. And then their side melts down. You see where I'm going here is we're a divided country. We have to accept that. You want to change that? Then let's get 60 Republicans seated in the Senate. Do that. You know what? It doesn't even take that. Get the requisite number in the majority to end the filibuster-proof provision of the rules of the Senate. That's what Democrats would do today if they could get Manchin on board with it. He's in the way. That's all they need. He pulls off, and it's 50-50. And he's catching all kind of flack because his pipeline is also in the debt deal. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The, The permitting process... It got improved slightly, but they don't want to. They really don't want to open up the spigot. You know that. If Joe Manchin caucused with the Democrats, the filibuster would end today, and if that ended, you would get you would get, for example, abortion is available at on a federal law basis. Number one, the Voting Rights Act. You'd have no control of, over federal elections. We're just one person away from that being enacted. So just as we get mad because when Republicans have control, which they really don't because you got to have 60 votes in the Senate, they're all incensed as well because Joe Manchin or a Republican won't get on board with the Democrats 
to just open up the floodgates and allow, for example, unlimited access to abortion across the country and requirements to teach CRT and require pronouns in every school. And all, just a myriad of left-wing stuff. And, man, you're talking about raising taxes, Trump tax cuts repealed immediately, wealth tax enacted. Oh, and don't forget, D.C.'s a state. That's just how close we are to going in the other direction. So to some extent, isn't it at least accurate to acknowledge that you're blocking all that stuff. You're not getting what you want done, but you're blocking all that stuff. Because we're just one vote away. Think about that. One vote. It's scary, honestly. Because that's what they want. They've made it clear that's their agenda. There would be gross expansion of welfare, and they would say, oh, we're going to pay for it with all these tax cuts. I mean, tax increases on those dirty, greedy, rich people, for starters, because there ain't enough money there. I had to do some math for a fool on Twitter this weekend, because I responded. I like to go out and respond in a respectful way to Liz Warren's stuff. A lot of people see it, including people on the left. And somebody jumped on me for putting, you know, tax cuts for the wealthy above health care and and food stamps and all the other benefits and all that kind of stuff. Well, here's the problem. And she was talking about increasing taxes on the wealthy, like the Bezos comment. (laughs) Get this mathematically. You could triple the tax rate, effective tax rate, paid by the top 10%. Follow me here. Triple the tax rate paid by the top 10% in this country. You put that into place and assuming everything else stays the same and it generated X dollars of revenue, you still have a $500 billion deficit. Triple the tax rate. And you know what would happen if you did that? The freaking economy would go in the toilet much worse than it is today because you tripled taxes on the top 10% of taxpayers. It's not enough. They don't do the math. They think, oh, yeah, just raise the effective rate a couple of points and economic bliss breaks out. No, it doesn't. That math doesn't work. Stay with us, folks. We got Sally Doty coming up at 12.05 after the break. Another segment left in hour two. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. It is middays. We are appreciative of you being with us today. So the opposition is growing in uh, among the GOP members of the House to the debt ceiling deal. They deem it a compromise bill they just can't live with. <laughs> 13-member House Rules Committee, two of the panel's nine Republicans have signaled they will oppose the bill. 
Now, of course, you're going to get a lot of Democrat support for this as well. So whether or not that's enough to keep it from passing, I don't like it either. I just don't see a path to getting something better. That's the problem. Do you just say, no, I can't do that, and the other side says, well, no, I can't give in, and then we just have this standoff. Now, maybe we ought to do that, and then you know what happens then? So we get $400 billion a, a month, and our expenses are about 530 or 40 Somebody's going without to the tune of 130 to $40 billion a month. Guess who that would include? Social Security and Medicare. Medicaid. And that has a downhill ripple effect because, like it or not, the government is primarily in the pension and health care business. When you look at it from a dollars consumed of the total spent, we're in the we're in the healthcare business. We're in the pension business. One point two trillion is what Social Security is a year. Then add up Medicaid and Medicare, and then the uh, subsidies for the Obamacare exchanges. Well, that consumes. Plus interest. Uh, Yeah, i got to say that as well. We're also in the interest-paying business 70%. A block of at least 20 conservative Republicans have said they're opposed to it. But let's be clear. I believe if it came down to it and they needed them to pass it, one or more, I think they change. This is political because they can go back to their district and say, I oppose that bill. We should not be confused by how the game is played there. It's all about what do I get to put on my resume and my bingo card for the next cycle? You believe that? I do. That's why I'm wondering who's going to be the first to even broach the topic of no confidence. Agree. Something, by the way, that Republican candidates for president are starting to speak of as it pertains to the front runner in the field, Donald Trump, is he ain't got but one term left. You vote for him, he's there for four years. You vote for me, I'm good for eight. Something to to, uh, consider that is going to become an issue. Will be interesting. Uh, Let's see. Ben from Madison says, good interview. Hopefully more of these candidates will be open to debate, talking about our interview with Hunter Dawkins. I, I agree, Ben, but I think the one everybody wants to see is Delbert Hoseman and Chris McDaniel. I just don't see that forming up at this point. I really don't. Jim in the Delta, serious question. Do you not think it will be worse for most of us that the IRS will be hiring the unqualified folks you were talking about? What the heck are 80,000 new employees going to be doing? Let me be clear, Jim, and I hope folks working for the IRS, if they're listening, don't take this wrong. They're already unqualified, and here's what I mean by that. You ever seen the tax return of a wealthy person, of a person that has lots of streams of income and assets? It is ridiculously complicated. That's on our lawmakers for making it that way. 
I mean, you're you're talking about a foot or more of tax return paper. And you get into some complex, obscure code. There's 30-something thousand pages of it that applies. And very expensive, highly qualified tax preparers and tax lawyers are involved in the preparation of these returns. You think you get a $70,000 a year bureaucrat that understands all that? Negative. They don't. That's why the whole idea that they're going after the wealthy tax cheats is such a ruse. They don't even understand their returns, much left going after them. Because going after them, you know, it's not like it's just obvious there. We had a legislator here, right, that not so long ago just failed to report half a million dollars of income. A transaction, a real estate transaction, I believe it was, wasn't it? Well, it's just painfully obvious that sticks out. But you're talking about somebody like a Bezos, for example, or a Bill Gates. There's nothing obvious in those returns, I promise you. That's the point. So I think it means they're going to go after the small guy more. We're taking a break for Fox News and Super Talk News. Sally Doty, director of Beam, is next. And now. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of Middays, live from the Element Well Studios, kicking off a brand-new shortened week. Sally Doty, director of the Mississippi Office of Broadband Expansion and Accessibility, of course, the acronym of BEAM. we got to have an acronym. Anything related to technology, it's, it's, it's nothing but alphabet soup acronym. So, appropriately, BEAM is our acronym. All right. How's it going there, uh, Mr. Director? Is it going good? It is going well. We are busy at the BEAM office. I bet. Mm-hmm. We have a grant that we hope to launch in the next couple of weeks. We got federal approval for it. It's been pending for quite some while. And uh, so we hope in the next couple of weeks to have that application portal open and be ready to go. $151.4 million, right? It is. Uh, there's some additional money on top of that that will be used for administration. There are a lot of guidelines and requirements that go around these federal dollars, as you can imagine. And we also are able to use some of that money for our office as well to fund our salaries okay. and travel and different things. So when you shake all of that out, and then we have uh, accountants and auditors and monitors that we have to, that are going to have throughout the life of the program. So it's really a $162 million, but we're going to grant out about 152 we expect, hopefully a little bit more. All right, what's the process? You said the portal is about to open, and at that point, then carriers so would apply, it start will the process? Be carriers or providers, if yep. you want to call them, and yep. we have already been in this process. So we have been running, our office has been running a map 
challenge mm-hmm. for providers. And, you know, that is so important is understanding where service is or is not in our state. And it's been so difficult to tell. There are federal maps that are out there, but that federal map is dependent on provider data. And then sure. also they use satellite data. They just don't slice and dice it. Uh, you know, it's it's always better, you know, the more local you can be, you know, the better, I think, the better data you can have. So we have been engaged in putting up our own Mississippi map uh, and then invited providers who may apply for CPF to participate and challenge anything we had on the map that we they thought was wrong. Okay. And so uh, I believe we had 200,000 challenges that we have worked through. Oh, yeah. And, you know, some of them were easy. Maybe they were some technical problems. Yeah. But I think we're down to the last 24 challenges. Mm. Uh, and, and those are ones that are a little bit more difficult where, you know, a provider says, oh, I have service here. But the map says, oh, no, you don't. The federal map says, no, you don't. And so we're we're working through those last few challenges. But we've been doing that over the past month or six weeks and that's really taken a lot of time in addition to getting the application ready getting the notice of funding opportunity ready uh, to be prepared for when this money came out yeah so you'd almost have to to map uh, and, I, and I use that as as a task map uh, the all the addresses that are in a provider's uh, service area to all the all the addresses that have service exactly and the, and the gap would be where you have white space essentially yes and so we've got a very easy to see easy to use map that will allow you to do that and in the past all of these uh, broadband funding programs seems like we've been talking about broadband funding for a long time, but really haven't gotten to a point where everything is built out. But in the past, they used uh, census block data. So if one location in the census block or two were served, the entire block was seen as served. I see. And so that created some distortions on the federal map. So the federal map now, they have changed to only location data, address data, and that's how we started out our map. So, you know, first got to make sure you have your addresses. Are all the addresses on the map and then once you have all your addresses where where is served and where is unserved and then something that has become uh, very important is where is there already federal funding attached to an address okay and you know mississippi we did really well in the ardoff auction the rural development opportunity fund it was back in in 2021 i believe 2020 mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of a process there was an auction then they had to be approved but if there is um, either USDA reconnect money, ARDOF money attached to a location, then we cannot provide additional federal funding. Sure. And so we've had to work through some of that, and we've had to reflect that on our map. And uh, so it's it's a more complicated than it sounds, perhaps. <laughs> is, is or are the maps, I don't know how many there are, are they accessible to the public? They are. They're on our broadbandms.com website. That is a website that we have up where anyone can go and check their speed of the service that they have. So I'm going to say that again because we would love you to go from your home, from your residence. doesn't do any good if you're in your car driving down the yeah. road. From your residence get as close to your router as possible and go to broadbandms.com uh, it's over there there's a tab that says for ISPs and and there's the uh, map under that so anybody can look at it right now but it's not necessarily a 
public-facing map because we're still refining it and, and getting everything worked out. Yeah, so I, I made the mistake. Uh, it's, it's from my business career of referring to them as carriers. All Internet service providers are not necessarily carriers, telecom carriers. Um, and so there, there's a, a little bit of a delta there. And in this case, in the, in the case of rural broadband, in fact, most aren't. Right. right, they're the electric co-ops right. that are primarily in the electricity providing business, but because they have this egress and the physical access and so forth, it makes sense for them uh, to provide internet access, and and they've got the means to do that. Leads me to my question: Is uh, how is participation amongst? We have what twenty four, twenty five ECAs. Have 25, I believe five. I believe we have twenty five co ops, and yep. my understanding is seventeen are building out. Okay, uh, fourteen received money in CARES Act funding. That was back in twenty twenty. I was at the Mississippi Public Utilities staff, and there was seventy five million in CARES Act money that was provided uh, mainly for our co ops to do build out, and so we have good participation. Uh, around the state, uh, not as, you know, and it's different. What I've learned is, you know, every co-op is different. They really are. And uh, a lot of them in North Mississippi are one county, maybe two counties. In Southwest Mississippi, it's six counties, ten counties. You know, so it's, you know, it's different when you're looking at a broadband project for $30 million or if you're looking at, you know, $130 million. Mm -hmm. And so I I think co-ops make decisions based on their electric grid and their sure. customers and, and what's right for them. So we do have some who are not participating. We um, There are other carriers who can come in and just like always, just like regular landline telephone, you know, they use their poles and their pole attachment fees. Yeah. And so we look for some of those areas to get built out. You know, the the issue of prior federal funding is a little bit sticky, um, especially down in southwest Mississippi, we have a, a an area that has a, a large amount of prior federal funding. Hmm. And so that is not being built out just yet by that provider. Uh, so that's causing some a little bit of angst down there in southwest Mississippi, and gotcha. we're trying to work that out. What uh, what else do you have to report? Uh, I mean, that's a big deal there, of course. So, uh, what I mean, I know that's the primary focus, and mm-hmm. and uh, I, I guess one question I would have is of the so you have seventeen of twenty five. Do the fact that these other eight are not participating does the fact not participating mean we may have white space we can't get to can't light up or or some telecom carriers may be picking up the slack. Yeah, thing. other carriers are picking up that. Okay, other providers okay. And, and there are, you know there's. Smaller providers, there's there's cable providers, yeah. there there are all kinds of providers out there that are, are going to pick up that slack. And it is our mandate, not necessarily with CPF, the Capital Projects Fund, which is the one that's about to go out the door, yeah. um, because it's only, like I said, it's only $150 million or so. We hope to get 35,000 passings with that, 35,000 locations. We have about 300,000 locations that are unserved right now, and so, you know, that, that takes us down a little bit. There's some other existing projects that takes us a little bit, but uh, we got a couple of hundred thousand projects that then will be addressed by BEAD, which is another federal grant that is coming out. We do not yet know our allocation for the BEAD funding. It's a very large uh, federal endeavor. I think in, there was 43, almost $44 billion put in that fund, and each state receives their allocation based on your number of 
unserved and underserved locations. Okay. So we will know what that amount is June 30th. Gotcha. June 30th. Drum roll till then. Hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, I yeah. would think we'd be in pretty good shape there, honestly. I, 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 I think we are. With our numbers, there are many states who have a better area of service than we do. So we're we're looking to get a a pretty big hit there. Appreciate you coming in and giving us an update today, Sally. Sally Doty, Director of the Mississippi Office of Broadband Expansion and Accessibility, a.k.a. Bean. Appreciate you coming in. Thank you very much. We're coming right back with more here in the Element Well Studios. Please stay with us. Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studios, we are grateful you joined us today. Eric Clapton. Appreciate Sally Doty, Director of the Mississippi Office of Broadband Expansion and Accessibility, coming in to talk about the progress made there to deliver high-speed Internet across the state of Mississippi. So 17 of the 25 electric co-ops involved. And I apologize for saying carriers is kind of a generic term there for uh, telephone, telecom companies. It's just kind of embedded in my older vernacular there because Internet service providers are not necessarily carriers, and all carriers are not necessarily Internet service providers. And besides the giant phone companies we're all familiar with, keep in mind that there are a lot of uh, rural phone phone companies as well, CLEX, exchange carriers, local exchange carriers, RLEX, CLEX, the whole bit, that uh, may operate the phone service, the traditional wired, wireline phone service as well. And typically, most of them also entered the Internet service business. By the way, it's hard to make money at that. Um been down that road. It's hard to make money. And here's what we all know. You keep getting more, and the price keeps going down. In general, the price goes down. certainly goes down uh, per some unit of measure of bandwidth. There's no doubt about that. Heck, I remember back in the 90s, just when the whole concept of uh, the whole architecture of private uh, connectivity. This is before the Internet was widespread like it is now, where we can connect to each other and connect to business to businesses and consumer to business, etc., using the Internet. Prior to that, if you had, let's say, a multi-location enterprise and you wanted to connect all the locations... You had to build your own intranet. 
Yeah, and it wasn't even called that back then. That term no. hadn't been invented until the Internet became popular. Then we had to distinguish, as you point out there, between the Internet and the intranet, meaning it was confined to just your organization. But back then, if you had, let's say, typical headquarters and multiple branches and you wanted them to connect to headquarters where all your data and your systems resided, you'd have to have some sort of private link that you paid through the nose for. Frame Relay is one that got popular back then. But it was brutally expensive for not very much bandwidth, and you had to rely on the phone companies for that. And so that certainly has changed where, heck, we got ubiquitous connectivity, which is cool, except in many of the rural areas. And that's just because it's just extremely expensive to provision those areas in terms of construction and capex, all the equipment and uh, other assets required to deliver and connect. Which is why you've seen a large investment from companies like SpaceX and Amazon into satellite connectivity, but that's also really expensive, especially on the front end. That's right. It is. And and so like SpaceX has their Starlink and Amazon I forget what is it Prometheus? Is that what they're calling it? Or maybe that that's sounds- the chip they're using. But they, they're not going to have that rolled out until middle of next year. Right. And you've seen, like from the satellite companies, HughesNet, you've seen the commercials are pretty widespread on that. By the way, that's Howard Hughes. Not sure if most folks knew that. You know who he was, the rocket guy from Colorado, was he? We're, very remember. wealthy. But I know he lived in Vegas for a long maybe time. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about, out in the Mountain West. He there. owned the TV station and went to the bathroom and missed a part of a movie and called the TV station and made them rewind the movie. <laughs> Howard Hughes. Born in Humble, Texas. Okay. But but he made his home, I think, somewhere. But he's known for... The Spruce Goose. Yeah. And, uh, of course, DirecTV is uh, an offshoot of Hughes Networks. I think I may have shared that I won a satellite back in the early 90s and uh, didn't know what it was. I won it at a big IT event because Hughes also had a software company. They made network management software for Novell Networks. And back at those giant trade shows, you didn't have all the electronic stuff you had today. (laughs) They'd give you a badge that had like a little embossed credit card style ID in your badge. And, and as you visited booths for signing up for stuff, of course, they just wanted your info to get on their mailing list, including your fax number, because they usually had to fax stuff to you before email became as pervasive and useful as it is today. And, and they literally had like a little credit card swipe. Wait, manual. you mean your personal data had value even then? Yes, imagine that. <laughs> it was just a little more difficult to collect. Like a manual process to not scan a credit card, but, you know, swipe it. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. On the embossed paper. And they'd stick that in a bowl and go back and enter it in a system somewhere. But I didn't know that in in doing so at the Hughes Software booth, I was also signing up to win this newfangled satellite dish. And it came in. And had to get somebody from far out of state to come install it. They sent in to install it, and it was Direct TV 
But it was the dish actually before they had the Direct TV logo. That's how long ago this was. It had U's on it. So it was a um, guy had to be one of the first in the country before it became commercialized. But they, of course, uh, expanded that into delivering high-speed internet as well, which is why I was thinking about that. Hakeem Jeffries on the House floor says. House Dems are fighting hard to prevent a dangerous default. This was Saturday. And stop right-wing extremists from crashing the economy. We, period, will, period, win, period. (laughs) So I just shared with you earlier, right, the report that more GOP members of the House are saying, I'm not on board with this deal. Literally while we were on commercial break, Rhino, on the screen was like a big group of Democrat members of the House, they're not on board either, but for different reasons. That, that, that's what's so intriguing about this. The GOP says doesn't go far enough in terms of spending cuts, and the House Democrats say it goes too far <laughs> in terms of spending cuts, and we need more taxes. So you're telling me it's an actual compromise where both sides are unhappy. That's what I'm saying. And so I'm wide open to ideas of how to overcome that. Wide open. Let me know. Because the only way you can that I can see is you got to change the numbers of who's seated in those chambers and who's in the White House. And then, of course, you'll say, well, we had that. We didn't get anything done. Well, because we don't have enough to change the filibuster rules. And and uh, until you change that, you're limited on what you can do. Only stuff you can push through the reconciliation process, unless you can get the other party to get on board with you, which is what Democrats did successfully with those three big bills we just talked about. But if Republicans, for example, wanted to do more in the, in terms of cutting taxes than the Trump tax cuts did, in fact, we just talked about the individual cuts expire in 25, well, then you need some Democrats to get on board so you don't have to pass it through the reconciliation process, in which case you had to limit it. Okay, how do you do that? I don't know. It's pretty hard when you look at those states. How do you flip them? And I don't mean just one or two. I mean nine. It's a pretty tall order. They got the same problem, of course, which is why we are likely never to see another 60-vote majority in the Senate. Last time we had it, Obama's first year. You're not sure about that. What do you think? I think the pendulum has to swing back to sanity at some point. Okay, fair enough. The the Democrats can only go so far to the left before even the Democrats towards the middle go, you know what, y'all are crazy. (laughs) I, I hope so, honestly. Speaking of crazy, Malcolm from Tishomingo says, get your pronouns correct, Gerard, or the leftist liberals will be after you. <laughs> term limits. I, I know, and that's that's what everybody says, term limits. But even so, though, Malcolm, okay, if you term limited, let's say we term limited Diane Feinstein in California, who, who needs to step down, in my view. You think you're going to replace her with a Republican? Nope. If you term-limited somebody here in Mississippi, 
is it is there a high probability they would be replaced with a Democrat in the Senate? No. It's, so it only it only really matters in about four states where you got a chance. And we just saw what happened in Pennsylvania. We flipped that seat from Republican to Democrat because we had a bad candidate. Coming right back, Mr. Roboto bumping us out. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge. Huge news. Huge. Huge. Huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. Well, so on the ceasefire text line, let's see. Good morning. I'm wondering how many people going to hit it, get rich out of it. What are we talking about? Talking about rural broadband? Look, just looking at the time there. Or are we talking about the? It had to have been a rural broadband. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know that anybody's going to get rich off of providing Internet services. It's not very profitable business, honestly. In fact, in some cases, it's a lost leader. My set just went up $35 a month, says Landfill Management. Yeah, you're starting to see some price increases, but that's mainly because of just the, the, the increasing cost of operations for all these companies, it's inflation. What What is it now, by the way? Just asking. Just curious, I should say, what uh, what it is. I mean, mine is, I don't know, around 100 bucks a month or so at the house. Relatively inexpensive, considering the amount of uh, bandwidth. When I think back on what it cost 20 years ago, multiples of that for a lot less bandwidth Gosh, I remember 45 meg circuit that we we engineered uh, the electronics for connecting two locations at a private company. Now, 45 meg was a lot. 1994 or five, 25,000 a month for 45 meg. You get now what a gig to the house in some areas for a hundred, up to a gig, up to a gig. Well. Even if it the ran speeds, yeah, I mean the burst speed. Right. So even if you got an average of half of that, that's still more than what this was at twenty five thousand a month. And then it's just a a function of of uh, technology and advances thereof. When we figured out how to install fiber such that it wasn't so sensitive to Movement. I remember those days. You had to have all kinds of special equipment because you just get the smallest little curve or kink, and that doesn't work anymore. And when that 
we figured out how to eliminate that risk and mitigate that, it changed the game. It's amazing. Oil drilling equipment, uh, oil drilling equipment originally Hughes Drilling Company. Yes, same people, same Howard Hughes. That's absolutely right. They make um, recent Clarksdale sent that in. They make the the big drill bits that you see, the diamond tip drill bits that cost a fortune. I may have shared this before. I played softball with a guy in Louisiana back in the early '80s that uh, was a Mississippi person, as a matter of fact, that worked for Hughes Tool. And they had a, uh, a warehouse full of those drill bits. Of course, they're drilling all over South Louisiana, certainly at the time, and now too. And man, we'd be out there playing softball, and he was on call. You know, like 724, it seemed like. And that usually meant we got to have a bit out in the field. The well's down. And this is before you had cell phones and ways of getting in touch with you carried a pager that was brand new and he had that pager somehow linked to a horn on his truck and we'd be out there playing softball and all of a sudden you hear his horn start going off and he'd drop his glove and run out to his truck gone he had i mean go immediately and they had some sort of special permission to drive fast on the, on the interstates or something because a couple of times I had to go with him. It's like 100 miles an hour in this Chevy truck with, you know, some $50,000 drill bit. That That's why he was allowed to drive fast. <laughs> you got $50,000 in the back that you're in charge of. Your company's like, we'll pay the speeding ticket. Just get there. And think about the cost of the disruption. You're not pulling oil out of the ground at that point. But, yeah, same hues. And, and I remember the, the big boxes with those uh, that uh, contained those bits, had the Hughes logo on it. That's right, Hughes Tool Company was the name of it. I remember when we had Prime Star and it morphed into Direct TV. That was 90s, too. I don't know if that's the case. That's interesting. Um, but, again, that satellite, that bird, was a Hughes spacecraft that launched Direct TV. Uh, Prime was acquired by DirecTV in the late 90s. Acquired by it. Okay. But I think it may have been acquired by it, but I want to say maybe DirecTV had already launched their service perhaps prior to that. It it doesn't matter. Yeah, it had launched a couple years earlier. Okay, yeah. So they just acquired a competitor, essentially, which made perfect sense. Uh, biggest SOB to ever live. No, that's the other day. Houston, Texas. Who's that? Bob and Starkville? Talking about Howard Hughes? Yeah, where he was yeah. from. I think okay. I got you. Past was in Houston. But he was from Humble. I got you. Uh, let's see. Please, according. Uh, I'm sorry. Didn't see this most. Please ask Senator Doty a question for me. According to the Beam map, our neighborhood shows that funds have been allocated for high speed in- internet. How long can we expect to see any work? Mose, my recommendation would be to go to that website. I think all that information that she would share with us is also located there. And if not, I don't think it would be a problem to call the BEAM office and see what you can find out. And, of course, that's all based on what they're hearing from the providers and their schedules as well. Jeff, as far as county taxes, you mentioned earlier that 
W.W. Citizen did not speak toward the economy. Who's that? W.W. Citizen. True. I wonder if he understands that tariffs on foreign imports are actually taxes paid by domestic consumers. W.W. Citizen. I guess he's talking about Trump, who did, in fact, impose tariffs on uh, China. Yeah, that's, that's certainly a debatable subject, and, and I am not a big fan of tariffs as well, but I'm also not a big fan of the way China manipulates its currency and games the system, and I do think something has to be done, whether or not that something is tariffs on China. I, I think there were other approaches that could have be, been employed, but you could also, of course, Jeff, acknowledge that taxes paid by corporations domestic taxes, which are way bigger than tariffs paid by domestic companies that, uh, or even Chinese companies that ship stuff into this country, that th- those two get passed on. Oh, DeSantis. I don't know what uh, DeSantis, I've not heard DeSantis say anything about that. Maybe I missed it. I haven't heard him address that issue. I wish he would. I wish he, like I said, I wish he would talk more about economic issues. Congressmen and senators are all millionaires, says Paula Meridian. So you mean they're going to pass legislation that's going to negatively impact themselves? I don't think so. Well, first, Paul, I think you'd be surprised to find out that the vast majority of members of Congress and the Senate are not very wealthy. In fact, several are like bankrupt. They're not millionaires. It, it comes as a shock. Now, are there some who have abused their position of power to enrich themselves? Yeah, it's a teeny tiny fraction of them. In fact, last time I checked, there's a large number of House members who live in their dang offices. It's expensive to maintain two households. You don't get paid. I'm not defending Congress here. I'm just sharing the truth because we got to deal with the truth. They're not millionaires. And you can go look this up. It's all public records. Now, if they're cheating and they're not, properly disclosing their financial condition, their balance sheets, well, then they need to be held accountable. I think we'd be hearing a lot about that if that were the case. One that comes to mind, Rhino, is Benny Thompson. Would you say that the average person in Mississippi thinks Benny Thompson is just floating in money? Don't you think that's kind of the common perception? Well, according to the federal records, he's worth maybe half a million dollars. Maybe. And it is true, there are several that have, like, filed for bankruptcy. Several. A few. Again, I'm not defending them. I'm just wanting to make sure we deal with the facts here. Uh, And if you look at the wealthiest members, I think Rick Scott now tops that list. $250 million. Well, he spent so much on his campaign, it's been whittled down to about $200 million. But he made all that in the private sector. He went to Congress rich. Those who are, by the way, they went there rich. I know a lot of people say, well, they showed up. They weren't worth five cents, and they left, and they were all millionaires. Where they all get rich is when they leave. They get these lobbying jobs that pay them several million dollars a year. That's where all the money's made. Or they go get board appointments that pay them a ton, or they get speaking engagements, or they write. But while they're in Congress, if you look at the trend of their balance sheet, it's not the case. Final segment coming up next. 
Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studios. So Larry and Mize found a report that said that uh, Thompson's worth a million and a half. It just depends on whose source you look at. Yeah, I think I found that same site. And if you scroll down, it says this is an estimation. Yeah, but still. Which if you go by the estimations, there's a range from half a million to a million and a half, depending on where you find the estimation. Right. But you look at the publicly reported assets and you wind up between five hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars. That's where I got it from. And that's that's more uh more confirmed, validated than any other data. How how long has he been there? He's been there a while, right? Been serving. Um in nineteen ninety three. So he's been there for thirty years. And he's worth, and I'm not defending Benny Thompson. I don't agree with anything, virtually. But most people on the street think he's worth millions. Even if you look at the upper end of the estimate at 1.5 for 30 years, you could hardly say, well, oh, yeah, he's gained the system and gotten rich. You're 75 years old. You're worth a million and a half. He does have other income. Besides being in the house. Now, that's what kind of shocks me. How are you able to have any sort of meaningful, gainful work and income while you're in the house? Because it's estimated he earns about three to four hundred grand a year, which means most of his income does not come from his $174,000 house salary. I'm, I'm a little stunned that you're able to have some sort of work. Now, it could be that he doesn't have to spend a lot of time doing it, that somebody's just paying him. That's possible. And if it's because he's a member of Congress, well, then, yeah, I'd say that his his position in Congress enabled him to enrich himself. But the, the latest report shows the mean of net worth of a member of Congress, a million bucks. When you start factoring into how many people in Congress are are up there in age, most of them probably have a house. House prices have increased significantly, and they probably don't have a mortgage. So you could have a three, four, five hundred thousand dollar house, three hundred thousand dollar house, just use an average four hundred thousand dollar house with no mortgage. Well, there's four hundred thousand dollars in net worth right there, just on that. And surely you've accumulated a bunch of other stuff. Some vehicles and and um, furniture and the like. Well, all that goes into your balance sheet. You may not be able to sell it for that, but that's still what you report. So 
where where I think you got to pay attention is when somebody got there and they were just not very well off financially, but then in a short period of time, their net worth just uh, went through the roof. That's where it becomes a problem. So if you look at the richest person in Congress, again, it's Rick Scott, worth what, $250 million, I said. He was worth $250 million before he got there, for a long time. Came out of the private equity world. Mitt Romney, same deal, worth $174 million. He didn't make his money in the Senate. He made his money at Bain Capital. Mike Braun, he's a business person in Indiana, just got elected, first term. Worth $130 million. He's, a, he's in some sort of heavy industry. I remember seeing his ads. Uh, Fred Upton from Michigan, another business person, $79 million. Kennedy, Ralph Norman, all these people. So I, I'm all for combating abuse of power to enrich oneself. But I think... We get a lot more traction, and we get taken more seriously when we focus on what's true and what's not. And where that's true, we ought to go after it hard. Do I think Nancy Pelosi, because her husband is an investor, do I think that perhaps they benefited from her having some inside knowledge? Not so much in the last few years, but yeah, prior to that, yeah, I do. And that's wrong. There's no doubt about it. And um, there's a list as well. Tom Tillis, who's stepping down from North Carolina, stepped down uh, Republican. Rob Portman, all, another businessman. Both of those folks are worth $10 million, uh, bucks each, roughly. Uh, Mark Warner, business person. You know the other one, I don't see him on here, is... Um, Oh, shoot. What's the one in California's name escapes me? I'll think about it tomorrow. But um, he's on there all the time. He's behind the Bose fortune as well. We are out of time here today. We'll be back in the studio with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Talk Mississippi Media Production.